Hey, good morning, 10 a.m. How are we doing? Would somebody in this house please help me say thank you to this worship team and our prayer team, our frontline people, our hospitality workers. Hey, I got a couple of more thank yous to say. I want to, I don't know because I, uh, I was out of the room during uh, the time of announcement, so I don't know if Pastor Gabby said that uh, Saturday the 20th at 10 a.m., we're going to have a memorial for John, uh, John, Jim Anderson. There's also, a, if you know the Andersons, there's a lot of Jim and John there, buddy. But Jim Anderson, who went to be with the Lord, uh, Mar- Mardonna's uh, husband who has passed on, and uh, J- Jim has been struggling uh, uh, with his own health for quite a while and kind of just been resting almost on heaven's gate for a while, but now he's peacefully gone on to be with the Lord. So we're going to gather 10 a.m. Uh, Saturday the 20th just to honor Jim and his family and the, and the Anderson family and the Dale family and the Wagoner family, uh, families who are here and attached to that. So we want to bless them. We want to say happy Mother's Day to everybody. I'd like to just uh, take a moment to uh, acknowledge and give thanks uh, to my own mom, who is a super mom, uh, sister, mama, mama glow. I don't know if the camera can go on her, but she would love that, but uh, uh, a lot. And, uh, uh, and to the, the mother of my four kiddos, uh, Mrs. Dav, honey, I love you so much. I'm so thankful for you and proud of you. All the ladies in the house, we are proud of you. You are powerful and brilliant, and we are thankful for you. I think you should clap somewhere, or I'll just keep talking until you do. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Revelation. All right. I got to tell you, so far this weekend, Saturday night has everybody out enthusiastic. So you've got some work to do, 10 a.m. Revelation chapter 5 is where we are, but we remember a couple of things as we begin this book. It's been a couple of weeks since uh, I've had opportunity to walk through this with you. We, we are reading Revelation because it's, it's, it's in the Bible, and so therefore it's good. We're studying this book for a couple of good reasons, the, and one of them is Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3. Revelation is one of the only texts in the canon that, uh, that promises a blessing for itself. The canon, the, the Bible is full of promises that we should love the Word and honor the Word and internalize the Word and all that, but Revelation says specifically, blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and I'm going to read it, so I'm going to be blessed. But then it says, blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart, who heed it. And so therefore you can be blessed as you hear these words and take them to heart. So in terms of taking them to heart, really, I, you know, I can't take it to heart for you and I can't tell you how to do it. But we've kind of assigned or looked for a singular theme as we walk through this book together, and that is living with a view of eternity. When we live with a view as of eternity, we are never more faithful, more fervent, or more fruitful than when we do. But if we do not, if we take our eyes off of the reality and the hope of heaven, we tend to succumb to the gravity of the mundane. Life becomes carnal and indifferent and distracted and ineffective as Christians. 
We are not, although we have great hope in this world, and we have great promise in this world, and we have great power in this world, somewhere someone should say something or I'm going to keep going, right? Although all of that is true, we are people stamped with and living for heaven. Last time we were here, we were in chapter 4, and we went with John in his vision to the throne room of heaven, where he saw the appearance of one on the throne and with all of the brilliant colors and all of the brilliant sounds and all of the magnificent creatures in the heavenlies, everyone in heaven was totally consumed, totally overwhelmed with the one on the throne. In heaven, God is the unceasing object of attention, adoration, and praise. But what happens in chapter 5 really changes everything. Chapter 5, I believe, really is the point. Say, the point of what? Yes. <laughs> chapter 5 is the point. Because what happens in chapter 5, yes, it's, it's, it, 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 it gives context for what happened in chapter 4. Chapter 4 is a triumphant drumbeat for what happens in chapter 5. Chapter 5 will determine really what happens in the rest of the book, but chapter 5 also answers the fundamental cry of humanity. It is the summation of the drama of redemption. In chapter 5, someone appears. In chapter 5, someone appears who is the central figure, who is the focus of attention, who is the catalyst for everything. In chapter 5, someone appears in response to an unanswerable question. The question is posed, who is worthy? And only one person answers in response. The answer to that question, who is worthy, will determine everything for heaven and for us and for eternity. The answer to the question, who is worthy, is this. Jesus is worthy. I invite you to say that sentence, those three words with me one more time. Ready? Jesus is worthy. And so therefore, living for eternity, as we respond to this text this morning, living for eternity means that you and I see that Jesus is worthy. And that we live like it. That we live like Jesus is worthy. Here's how it begins. Chapter 5 and verse 1. Let's just take it in real time, passage by passage. John says, then I saw, now I see that his, his vision has shifted again. Someone has pushed the button on the PowerPoint. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. We need to grasp the significance of the scroll before we explore the weight of what is next. In the Old Testament and in apocalyptic literature, Jewish apocalyptic literature, a scroll means something. Everything in Revelation essentially means something else, almost everything. A scroll would would communicate a will or a covenant or a contract that is due. 
And the scroll in this heaven's court context today would express, uh, would, would contain divine orders or declarations. This scroll contains a plan. Somebody say plan. It's a providential declaration and a plan of intervention. Something significant is in this scroll. And it's written inside and outside. What does that mean? Well, that's not, a, that's not a nearly as mysterious as it might sound. It simply means it's full. There's no more room. There's nothing left to be added to this thing. It's complete. There's, and, and what is in it is settled. It's finished. It's ready. But it's sealed. And it is in the right hand of the one on the throne. Hang on. Hold up. Pump the brakes. It's in the right hand, that place of power and privilege and prestige, of the one on the throne. Yikes and wow. That means it is total, it, that, that expresses its value, its significance, and its total inaccessibility. People can't, in Revelation 4, people can't even look at that guy on the throne without falling on their face. Who's going to come get that thing out of his right hand? And it's sealed with seven seals. Perfectly sealed, totally inaccessible. In verse 2, and then I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, are you ready? Who is worthy? Here's the question. Sets up. If we had time to go through the entire drama of redemption, remembering the horrific fall of man and, his, and has he succumbed to the temptation of sin and the destruction that sin has wrought and the separation and the, and the frustration and the sense of abandonment of the image bearers who are fractured and feel abandoned, but they don't even recognize that it's their own sin that has separated them. So they respond in angst and rebellion and wonder and pain. And they've sought solution after solution after solution, but no one, no one has solved it. There has been no one to stand in the gap between creator and creation, between image giver and image bearer. No one. And so this mighty angel lifts his voice and bellers to all of the cosmos, is anyone worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? The scroll is waiting to be opened. Heaven wants it unveiled. But it is so sacred and it is so significant that only someone who is worthy may do so. So everything hangs on this question. Who is worthy? Who is worthy? Who is worth the praise? Who is worth the honor? Who has earned it? Who deserves it? Who is the champion? And verse 3 says, But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look at it. No one was found worthy. No one in heaven, no one on earth, no one under the earth. The Greeks use this phrase, under the earth, to communicate the idea of everywhere. 
This is not an endorsement of Greek mythology in case anyone's worried. The point is to emphasize the total vacancy of worth. No one was worthy to open the scroll. So verse four, here's John. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or even look inside. NIV says he wept and wept. Other, other translations say John wept bitterly. We don't know yet this scroll's content. John didn't know its content, but he felt it. He felt the significance. He felt that there was something extremely important waiting for someone who was singularly worthy, but there was no one, and so he wept. Now, this is specifically about the overwhelming need for someone who is worthy to open the scroll, but it it also gives a voice to the cry of humanity for someone who is worthy. Is there no one who is enough? Is there no one wise enough? No one virtuous enough? Is there no one strong enough? Is there no one pure enough? Is there no one good enough? Is there no one who will give us hope? Is there no one who can inspire us to live beyond ourselves or the mundane? Is the universe pointless? Has evil won? Is there no champion? So John, for himself and for us, is having an existential crisis. Verse 5, Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Do not weep. I wept and wept. Do not weep. See, the NIV says, or behold. Somebody should say behold. Behold, Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Stop weeping. Weep no more. The lion has triumphed. Do not weep. There is a champion. There is one who is worthy. Weep no more. Weep no more. It's not hopeless. We aren't helpless. We aren't defeated. And it isn't over. The lion has triumphed. Hear this, all who have ears to hear, for this is the message of the book of Revelation. Jesus has triumphed. He is worthy. This is a book about his victory, not about your escape. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the Messiah, the Christ, has triumphed. Who is worthy? Jesus is worthy. Verse 6, Then I saw a lamb. The announcement was that a lion had triumphed, but he turns and he said, And then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain. Standing at the center of the throne. I don't want to 
I don't need to or want to press the text. The text does a fine job all by itself exalting this lamb. But let me just offer that since we're reading a narrative flow here, uh, we don't see, and from stage left entered a lamb, or from stage right, or descending out from all of a sudden, listen, all of a sudden, without explanation, there, the, there is a lamb who is at the center of the throne. Hear this. The idea is that this lamb is an expression of the throne itself. And he is encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So the lion is the lamb, and the lamb stands with the appearance of one who is slain. One who is slain, yes, John 1.29, John the Baptist looks at Jesus and says, Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, as he articulates an early Christian poem or song about the sacrifice of Jesus, he says, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. Somebody should say Jesus is worthy. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Listen, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. All those places where we found no one was worthy and all those places everyone will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. And this one, this lamb, is standing immediately at the throne and it looks as if he may be at the right-hand side because of what happens next. It says that he has seven horns, which indicate his perfect strength. By the way, remember, it's the lamb who has seven horns. Anybody else that happens across our pages later, and they will, who has seven horns, and they will, are a pretender. And he has seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. So he, he bears and sends out the full spirit of God. So the lamb is the anointed one. He is the Christ Jesus is worthy. Verse 7, he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Yeah, I'm glad my mom got that and somebody else. Listen, he went and took it. He didn't hesitate. He didn't ask. There's no like procedural thing. He doesn't come and bow down and submit and it's bequeathed. He took it. He doesn't hesitate. He doesn't ask because he is worthy. And when he took it, (laughs) verse 8, and when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, they do their thing. They do what they've been doing in chapter 4. They fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. As he takes this scroll, the four living creatures, which represent creation, and the 24 elders, which represent redemption, all fall down before the Lamb, and they present the prayers of the saints to the Lamb. Whatever the contents of this scroll, the prayers of the saints are waiting for its opening. And Christ alone, Christ alone, may answer those prayers. 
The Lamb now holds in his hand what is written concerning what is and what will be. And he oversees the unfolding of the plan of God. Who is worthy? Jesus is worthy. And then verse 9, And they, who's they? The four living creatures and the 24 elders. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. The song from chapter 4 has changed. There's a new song. Heaven's song changed because of Jesus. So can yours. In the Old Testament, a new song celebrated a new act of divine deliverance or blessing. And that is what is being celebrated here. This song is being sung by the four living creatures and the 24 elders. And they are singing, you are worthy. You are worthy because you were slain and you redeemed. You purchased for God by your own blood peoples from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 says that salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And they, those redeemed, the redeemed will reign upon the earth. This is not some sort of a geopolitical agenda. This will not be the result of an election. Oh, I have so many more jokes that are just coming to my mind right now. But in this church, if I say them, you'll all get out your six shooters and fill the ceiling with pew, pew. This is not the result of an election. This will be, this is, the, this is a proclamation, listen, that evil will someday be totally defeated and displaced and that redeemed humanity will live in freedom and fellowship with their creator. For all of this, Jesus is worthy. Verse 11, And then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels. The NIV says, Numbering thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000. Your Bible might say myriads of angels. Myriad is the Greek word for 10,000. It's the largest number that John had available in his vocabulary. In the Greek vocabulary, 10,000 is the big. So he took the biggest number he knew and multiplied it by the biggest number he could think of to describe the number of voices that he was hearing. Now you and I, we've been praying, we've been calling for the Holy Spirit to sweep across this region and to see 10,000 people come home. But now I'm starting to wonder if our math is a little low. 
He heard thousands and thousands, and they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. So you have the, the elders and the living creatures surrounding the Lamb, and then you have this myriads of myriads of voices of angels, and they are singing with another loud voice. Nobody is singing quietly in heaven. <laughs> There's no easy listening music there. Then I and and here's this, and with a loud voice they were saying, "Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise." So first we have the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders. They're gathered around the Lamb singing, and now all of heaven with innumerable, incalculable angels are singing, "Worthy is the Lamb to receive power." and riches, and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory. He is worthy of it all. Verse 13. Then I heard, mercy sakes, and then I heard every creature in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth, and on the sea, and all that is in them, saying, to him who sits on the throne, and unto the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. So first we have the four living creatures and the 24 elders. Then we have myriads of myriads of angels joining in the song. And now there is every voice. As a matter of fact, no voice is exempt. No location is exempt. From every place in all of the cosmos, every voice is crying out, Jesus is worthy. And make no mistake, to him who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb, there is no distinction. It may be a mystery, but the Lamb is God himself. Jesus is worthy. And in verse 14, the four living creatures simply say, Amen. 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 They join with Amen. And then what do the 24 elders do? They do what they do. They fall on their face in worship. This is a, a, we talk in the school of ministry sometimes and some other places. This is a time where we look at the text and we want to take, I want to take just a sidestep and just use a, a, a pastoral uh, implication, a pastoral urge here. Uh, it doesn't violate the text. It complements the text, even though it's not the exegetical intent. Here's what I'm about to say. Notice this. In heaven, what the elders are doing. On this side, it's normal. I, I, I want to use careful language here, but it's not unusual for those who would consider themselves elders to kind of sit back, observe, perhaps cross their arms, analyze, Evaluate. Sometimes criticize. I'm not looking at my mom. I will handle the humor here. But in heaven, in heaven, the elders lead the way in worship. In heaven, the elders are the first ones on their faces. 
So I might say this, if we, if we feel, as, as we begin to, you begin to feel a sense of responsibility to be an example in the church, in the house of God, lead the way in worship. It might, maybe a little bit metaphoric, because I don't, but be the first one on your face. Because Jesus is worthy. Responding to this text shortly this morning, how do we respond to this living with a view of eternity? Well, first of all, I pray that the Holy Spirit impresses your own heart in ways that I could never articulate and moves you. But the passage begins with the question, who is worthy? And then the rest of the chapter answers that question with Jesus is worthy and then strains itself to express just how worthy he is, the magnitude of his worthiness. There is no greater message than this. Jesus is worthy. And the, and the weight and the wonder and the magnitude of that message then captures the entirety of our lives. And then we understand, perhaps, the, the, the weight of what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 9 when he says, and whatever you do, someone say whatever, and whatever you do, instead of a, instead of a it's not just a postscript, it's a climax, and whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do everything as if it were worthy of him. Do everything as Jesus, for Jesus, in his name. Do it as if he were, as if he were doing it, and let every word, let every deed be worthy of an offering to him. Now that is an overwhelming call. It's a magnificent and excellent and virtuous and triumphant way to live. As an offering to the one who is worthy. This morning I would like us to just join with those voices that we've heard this morning and offer our hearts and our lives and our voices every word and every deed as an offering to him who's worthy i'll invite you to stand if you like we've cleared the front for those who want a place of your own if you want to stand you want to kneel you want to find a place let's just take a few moments and respond to the one who's worthy. To him who sits on the throne and unto the land. To him who sits on the throne and unto
blessing. Be blessing.
are all things. You deserve the glory. I urge you in the mighty name of Jesus, today, every day, to see that Jesus is worthy and to live like it. I bless you in the mighty name of Jesus. If, if you need to go, God bless you. Have a wonderful day. We're going to leave the, especially the front of the chapel open for people to just to remain in worship and wait upon the Lord. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Let's worship the Lord together. It's your name As we bless your holy name You deserve the glory and the honor Lord we lift our hands and worship as we bless your holy name 